who's our avatar exactly? Think about it. I'm like, are we making content for that person? Because sometimes I get people who watch a show, which is like my mom and my, uh, my fiance. And, uh, you know, and they're like, you know, some of the words we use, they don't know what it means. Like if I just go off the cuff and I'm like YouTube callouts, right? They, they don't know what a YouTube callout is. If I say SEO, they don't know what that means. So like, you should like tone it down so I can understand, you know, they're like, I don't understand most of what you're saying. And I'm like, well, I'm not really making the video for you. But then I was like, maybe we do want to make it for those people, right? Because when I first started the show, I was like, I kind of want to be able to like tell people about our industry. Like there's so much, you know, going on in our industry that I think a lot of people don't know about, right? And I was like, I thought that would be really interesting to have one place you can go to stay updated. Good morning, marketers. We are with Andrew and Tom. What's up, man? You can't just wave, Andrew, because uh, some people might listen to just audio. Oh, right. Okay, let's start that again. I <laughs> For forgot. those just listening, Andrew <laughs> waved at the camera. <laughs> yeah. We need some uh, That's a great intro. Let's keep here. that. Let's just keep going. Let's roll with it. So uh, Andrew went to uh, VidCon and what else did you go to? VidSummit. Sorry, VidSummit. And and where else you said you went to? No, that's the only event that I, uh, because I'm a member of Daryl Eves's inner circle, we had a private mastermind, all-day mastermind following VidSummit. And then after after that, I actually hopped down to San Diego and met with one of my clients. Vid Summit, the event that I attended is uh, this year was around 1,500 people. It's very much an event creators for creators, creators helping creators. Whereas VidCon is uh, completely different and much more for the fans. Ah, I, got you. I actually want to know more about the mastermind. So Daryl Eves, he's a popular YouTube guy. I've seen him speaking at different conferences over years. So I think anyone who's kind of like into YouTube marketing has probably come across some of his content in the past. And I know this mastermind is, uh, it's a small mastermind, right? What is it, like 20 people? This one was, he included his inner circle and his mastery because it was, it's so rare that we all get together in person. We do two events a year and one is always with VidSummit and then we do another one in the spring. Well, What's the inner circle? I remember you told me about it before. It was a small group, right? Yeah, that's a very, very small group. I'm in inner circle for YouTube consultants. There's, I think, six of us right now. And then he has another inner circle for creators, for YouTubers. But for this mastermind, we all got into one room immediately following VidSummit. And we just picked apart uh, different channels. And Daryl brought us up to speed on a whole bunch of things going on with mm -hmm. YouTube. There's been a whole whack load of changes and announcements and feature updates. And it's like it's like YouTube's been on a tear recently and just is just going crazy yeah. it's it's actually been a little difficult even for a youtube expert like myself to keep up with all the changes but yeah it, it's a really exciting time to be in uh, a youtuber or be in the youtube space what was the most mind-blowing thing that you learned during this whole events most mind-blowing thing there's so many things going on like the the stuff with shorts is very exciting music uh youtube is going to be doing something really exciting with music so the reason why music licensing is, is so complicated it, it's not because of youtube or tiktok or whatever platform you want to talk about it's simply because of how the music industry has been designed from the ground up i'm not a music expert by any means but I've slowly come to realize that licensing around music is an extremely difficult and complex situation. And uh, YouTube recently announced that you're going to be able to use mm. like the, the top, top, most popular artists in your content. And there's going to be an option for you to either pay a one-time fee to have that background music in your, your YouTube video forever, or there'll be in the option of doing a rev share whereby a portion of your YouTube ad revenue is actually going to the music artists. We're talking about like the A-list, 
musicians out there, like the stuff that you're going to hear in big budget movies and radio and whatever that you're going to be able to include in your YouTube videos. And that's actually, that's pretty mind blowing when you get your head wrapped around that, that option. So yeah, I heard about this thing with the music. What about with just, you know, overall optimization, getting views? You know, I, I messaged you because I had a guy message me on Instagram. He seemed like an okay guy, you know, he's not so much of a spam or anything. And he was trying to sell me on a verification badge on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And he wanted $2,500 for it. And I was like, hey, you know what's funny? I never even noticed that there were verification badges on YouTube before. I've never <laughs> noticed it before. And he's like, yeah, if you have this verification badge, you're going to get shown and recommended more and on the YouTube search or whatever, right? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and then he starts showing me some channels and he's like, look at this guy's channel. Look at that guy's channel. I'm like, my channel looks like that too. Like numbers all, all are all over the place. And I upload a reel or sorry, a short. I get 50 views, sometimes I upload it and I get 2,000, you know? It's all over the place, you know? And I told him, like, I, you know, what I really think it is is that, you know, I think we, we figured out our thumbnails, we figured out our titles, but our watch time is not that great, right? We just got to make better content and have more, you know, keep people hooked more. And he was like, no, no, if you have this verification badge, you're going to get more views. And he's like, really selling me on it. And I kept saying no, and he keeps coming back to me. I'm like, no, man, I'm like, I'm just not interested. I just don't think it's going to work. doesn't make sense for everything else that I know about YouTube. doesn't make sense why this would matter. I think when you have a verification badge on Instagram, you look more credible, right? Like you get the blue check mark, whatever, right? You look cool, whatever, right? And that same as like maybe on Facebook or something like that. I don't know, Twitter, you know, you're gonna, everyone's going to have it, whatever. But you were telling me, like, what, what were your thoughts on that? And yeah, you pinged me about that. And I immediately said, I don't think it's worth the money because uh, now that YouTube has rolled out handles and every everyone has to have a unique handle, uh, which is, I think everyone said, a hell, uh, like a, there was a group hallelujah when that happened because there are so many YouTube channels that have the exact same name. Mm. YouTube has unfortunately been just swamped with all kinds of scammers and spammers because they'll yeah, know, ramp up a brand new YouTube channel and take like Graham Stephan's profile image and, and uh, put his name on it, right? But now you can quickly and, uh, and efficiently prove who you are yeah. just simply by your handle, right? For that gentleman that reached out to you and for anyone else who's trying to build a business, um, their, their days are numbered. Uh, as soon as people, more and more people understand that there is no magic pill, there is no magic bullet yeah. of getting the uh, verification check mark, and then all of a sudden your YouTube channel is going to blow up. Are you freaking kidding me? If that was actually true, then so many people would have largely successful YouTube channels because people would just pony up the $2,500 and, and make it happen. I'm not sure people would be paying that money though for that. Maybe that is some of the promise and, and maybe naive people would purchase yeah. at that price point hoping that would happen. So maybe there's a level of like naivety and that's like a, a segment of the market. But I actually think a lot of people would just do it for the the social social cred. Look at me, I got a, a check mark. Tom, have you ever noticed that there's a check mark? No, but I really don't care about any of those things. <laughs> did you know, Andrew? Did you know there was a check mark? Yeah, I did, but I'm I work in the space. So right. I have to say one more thing. The experts know this, the amateurs and uh, everyone else do not. Winning on YouTube is not about the channel, the video. Hmm. It's the video, it's the video, it's the video, it's the video. Like, I can't stress that enough. And that's why there are so many YouTube channels out there that maybe they'll have like one banger, one video that blows up to 50,000 views, 100,000 views. And then you look at all their other videos and it's like five views, three views, 10 views. Because it just goes to show you that it's all about the content. Mm. It's the, the cream will rise to the top. That will always be the number one objective of YouTube to put the perfect, view, the perfect video in front of the perfect viewer at the perfect time. It's all about the video, not the channel. But then that the video ties into the channel, right? Because there's a, it's almost like this, um, I don't want to say catch 22 or this like a, this circular thing with YouTube. If you have something that hits and you have an audience that subscribes for that kind of content, and then you do not produce more content like that, or you produce different content that can, that can tank you, right? It doesn't, it seem that people kind of, you almost get shoehorned or have to get shoehorned in YouTube. 
to do that. Like, oh, I got to consistently making this kind of content. If I try to go left or right, I could screw myself. That's really good point. Really good point. And it's because YouTube is building out a viewer profile. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you, sometimes you got to put on your human psychology hat and sometimes you got to put on your tech YouTube AI hat. And you have to understand that YouTube, the AI, has no idea if your content is good or not. No idea whatsoever. It can only measure engagement signals that comes from the audience. It's not content is king. Audience is king. The viewers are king. They decide and they dictate what is successful and what will rise to the top. And then the YouTube AI is just a machine and just measures those engagement signals and go, hey, look at this kind of viewer avatar really resonates with this video. I mean, they are sapping it up. They click on the video, they watch to the very end, and then they keep watching. Awesome. We got a, a winner. Let's share this video and serve it up to a lot more people that look like that person, that viewer profile that YouTube and Google build out for all of us. I saw another really interesting YouTube hack. I shouldn't say it's too interesting, but I just thought it was funny. This guy was selling this as a service. It started off that you had to have a new YouTube channel. He's like, you can't use an existing one. And what he would do was he would find existing viral content right? And then use that content as shorts and just upload tons of shorts. And then you would go from like zero to 5,000 subscribers in like a few weeks. And I suppose you could also mix in your own content. And he's selling this as a service. And I thought it was interesting because I was like, that would work, right? You, I think you could for sure do that. I don't know why it required a new channel because I was talking, I know this guy personally. So I was, I had a little chat with him. I don't know why, you know, I kept asking him like, why a new channel? He's like, just, you need a new channel. You know, that's that was part of the hack, I guess. And then he was talking about doing the same thing like on TikTok. And I actually think that it would work great. I actually want to do that. You should run this as a paid, one of those paid experiments. Like I spent X number of dollars on XYZ, you know, one of those clickbaity headlines. And here's what I learned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I want to do this on Instagram. I find TikTok, I'm not too invested into TikTok. There are many reasons I won't get into it right now, but Instagram, I want to still build. But I think mixing in other people's content that's already, like, let's say it's a viral video on YouTube, but there's no reel for it, you know, or like it's not, it's not like a viral reel. I'm not just taking another reel from another page and uploading it on mine, right? I might find some existing viral content somewhere. Or, hey, I can go and steal it from someone else too, I guess, right? They stole it from someone and, you know, but I think this idea of mixing in the content. So I just thought it was interesting to do that on YouTube. But then what happens is, are you pulling in the right audience, right? Let's just say that we want the audience of, I don't know, like Gary Vaynerchuk or something like that. I don't know. I go in and I start my channel by uploading a bunch of shorts of Gary V. And I just go crazy on Gary V shorts. Get 5,000, 10,000 subscribers. Then I start uploading my own stuff. Now I have those subscribers who are now going to start seeing my stuff in their feed because they've engaged with all my reels or my shorts. I don't know what would happen if I then deleted all those shorts. I don't know because that might delete all that data. I don't know. Andrew, does it seem like it's an audience thing all of a sudden? Because that's, I think, in terms of email. And I think to myself, well, if I, if I was like doing email marketing, and I'm like talking about this subject, this subject, this subject, this subject. And then I change the subject. I think I'd have a lot of unsubscribes, a lot of people being like, well, what happened to this? Yeah. Like the, it would almost like you kind of you kind of choose your path a little bit, right? That's the thing is you're not changing your subject too much, right? Well, it depends how, how much you're, you're taking Gary Vee and you're plastering Gary Vee everywhere. And then all of a sudden you're not talking about Gary Vee anymore. That's a fine line because it, what you just described to me sounds like you're building a Gary Vee fan channel. And I, I think that would be a winning strategy, but it would be really important to... Well, hey, what if I, I, I mix it up? It's not just Gary Vee, right? I get anyone who's like, who has the audience that we want to reach. And, and I'm just using Gary Vee as an example, right? No, but, but there is 
is a way you can do this so in a way that it works. Right? Yeah. It's called a remix, right? As long as they didn't uncheck that box in YouTube Studio, right? You can go to anybody's YouTube channel and you can turn their content into a short. It could be like a 15 second short where the first 15 seconds is their content. And then the next 45 seconds or the next 40 seconds or whatever is you Re reacting to that. Yeah. It's almost like a mini reaction video. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's called a remix and you could do that. And that to me would be, that would be a way better strategy than just uploading a bunch of Gary V shorts and then stopping that and uploading your own content. People are going to be like, what, what the hell? I didn't subscribe for this. Well, okay. What if you mix up, like you get like Gary V and like a bunch of other influencer types that have a similar audience and then you just put yourself in there. You would have to keep sprinkling in their stuff though. Like it, it would be too hard of a pivot to just stop posting their stuff and just do your stuff. You think so? I do believe that would be a completely different viewing experience. And then now people are going to stop looking at your videos and your channel will tank at that point. Yeah. I, you know, we talked about this a lot that I think a, a big part of any social media strategy, YouTube, whatever is about uh, building the, you know, call it an emotional connection or a community or like people need to feel like they know you. Right. Once they know you, then like I had another friend of mine. He's got a YouTube channel. We can probably just shout it out. He's been on the show before, um, Dan from Dreams Around the World. And when we were first starting our show and I was looking at his channel, because I was talking to him some YouTube strategy stuff. And I noticed that he was getting a lot of views. And then all of a sudden for like about a month or two, his views had tanked, right? And what I noticed with it was he stopped putting his own picture in his thumbnails. And I, and I showed him I'm like, hey man, I was just scrolling your channel. I noticed this, you were getting like thousands of views now you're at hundreds of views and the only difference is your thumbnails had your picture before. And then he realized that he went back and changed all the thumbnails. Now he always uses this picture, but he's very like, his videos are very much like, you know, personal stories about him. People who watch his channel, they feel like they know him. He's got a very, like, I will call it like a diehard audience, right? So once his picture was not there anymore, they don't care, right? They only are watching the video because they care about him. And I think the same thing is true, no matter what strategy that we're going after. I think it's just the hack to get to five or 10,000 subscribers. I think that it is an interesting hack to kind of, now that you can, you know, call it legally or like, it's not a bad thing to go and take somebody else's content and create shorts from anyone's content, right? If I were to now just start uploading freaking Gary Vee or Ty Lopez's videos on my YouTube channel, people are like, you know, it probably get taken down, right? I'm assuming it'd be like a copyright thing or they would consider it like duplicate video. If you're not following fair use, then yeah, it could be just taken down or demonetized. Exactly. So I guess it's technically fair use when you take like a 20 minute video, you find a one minute clip and you make it into a short, you change it, right? You cut it, you totally change the whole format of it, right? So therefore you're allowed. That's what's interesting about the whole idea right now of shorts and reels is that you could just take other people's content, even if you're not hitting that remix button, right? You just steal it. It's kind of like what um, Andrew Tate did, right? Where everyone was just allowed to take his content and now there's just tons of shorts, reels. But he whatever, was encouraging that though, right? Like he, he, because he knew that cancel culture doesn't really apply if everyone's posting your stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. If you're the only one with your stuff and you get canceled, your, your stuff is gone. But if everyone's posting your stuff, there is no cancel culture at that point. But that's the thing is that now people are, are aware of that. I think other creators are aware of that. And so they're less likely to get mad and say, yo, why you... Uh, why are you taking my stuff and repurposing it? They're all like, look what, look what Tate did. I help my clients make reaction videos all the time. And uh, recently a client of mine published a reaction video to Graham Stephan. There wasn't even a, a claim, nor I was expecting a claim. I was going to dispute the claim with a process that I have because we were following fair use. We didn't even get a claim, probably because Graham Stephan just knows that if we're making a reaction video to his content, we're just amplifying his own authority. Is Andrew, is this built into the platform now with YouTube, this response kind of thing? 
the remix? Yeah, it's kind of built in. Like you'll see the claim when you log in and yeah. then you'll you'll be given some options. And there's a timeline. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head right now that to, where you can respond. And if you don't respond within that time, then it's just, you know, your SOL. There's a couple options. And I always dispute the claim and I haven't lost a claim yet because I know how to follow fair use. And as long as you're following fair use and you're you're check, ticking all the boxes, there's there's nothing they can do. And, but you were saying the system itself, YouTube, allows you to take that that clip right and then respond to it is that correct oh oh that's what oh that in the shorts yes but what i just was referring to was like a reaction ah, video okay, okay. the person uh was reacting to the video and then recording his screen while he was watching the graham stefan video that's not a short you can do a yep. remix it's called a remix yeah where you you can share like 15 seconds of someone else's content and then your camera turns on and then you have a chance to talk to your like in portrait mode and short format content. That's just a short version of doing a remix or a short version of doing a... Is that a new thing? I don't know if I've heard of that or seen that. Yes. Okay. That's brand new. No, you know what's funny about this? I didn't never fell on the TikTok bandwagon. I'm not a TikTok user. When someone first explained to me what TikTok was, originally it was basically that. They always have different ways you could remix content. And it started with musically with dancing to music and you would do a certain dance, right? That's how it started. Yeah. So the whole idea of TikTok is it helps you to create content by creating these challenges, right? So you'll take this music and you'll do a thing with it, or you'll have, there's, you know, there's certain kind of content challenges, things that people will do to kind of jump on that bandwagon of that style. That's why you see a lot of people will repeat the same sort of, I call it like a memeable video. Yeah. Well, it's also, it just, it's fascinating because I've seen these reaction videos before and obviously I'm sure I've, I've watched some and I've, I've seen yeah. them and I, so I know they're there and there's some popularity with it or a lot of popularity. Actually, it seems like there's whole channels dedicated to reactions I discovered, right? Yeah. This, is, this is me coming into it. Like in the last few years, like, what is this? What is this landscape of reactions? And then they're building it into the platform. And it sounds like there's uh, with this mi remix thing and kind of how they handle maybe the fair use on these longer reaction videos, right? Where we, when you see it, just see how popular it is on the platform, how, how much the audience, I guess, is interested in this content, this, this reaction video content. Like, Andrew, do you, do you get that feel with, the, with the, the events you just went to? Is there like a trend toward reaction? Or, I mean, and granted, maybe it's been like that for a few years and I'm only now kind of like catching onto the drift, but I'm curious if there's any kind of like rise or growth in that, like this responsiveness to content. Yeah, yeah, we are seeing uh, the, the popularity around reaction videos. It, it hasn't plateaued yet. It's definitely going up. In fact, what we're seeing is we're even seeing some cases where creators are reacting to their own content. Like Marques Brownlee is making videos re reacting to videos that he made like 10 years ago because he's, he's an OG reacting to his younger self. And then there are people making reaction videos to other people's reaction videos, which is pretty meta, pretty Inception-like is how I like to think of it. Yeah, it's definitely right. a popular format because it really is a personality-based channel at that point. You really are the brand. You, you can't really outsource that. Like Mr. Beast has a reaction channel because people legit care about Jimmy's reaction to funny videos. Well, I was just going to say too, because there was a, a, like a corresponding trend maybe outside of YouTube, but I think all these trends, like they all influence each other and, and YouTube being such a, a vast platform with so many people on it, like the trends hit there too. But it was this idea of like the content, the reaction piece, seeing this growth in this space, like a cr people responding to content that's put out there. Again, like I just think it's kind of interesting. Like it's like the persona, you mentioned it, right? So it's the personality, right? So there, there has been this trend, like I think so much in the last year or two or last few years of people not so much going to the traditional outlets, say for news or whatever, but going to a particular person to hear their spin on the news. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Right. And and it seems like you can totally build a platform off of just that, just responding to things in your own voice. Actually, really quickly, I want to make a note on to something that Matt said, and then we'll get back on track. I just wanted to quickly say that, Matt, you're bang on when you use the word meme. That's exactly what short format 
vertical videos are they're memes mm -hmm. as soon as that clicks for people they're like ah now i get it now i know what to do that's exactly how they should be treated now to get back to what you were just saying there tom i actually got the perfect way to answer that and it was or address that it was crazy this was the first time i was attending vid summit in person i'd only only bought the the recordings every year before that i'm sitting in the back row chatting with a friend of mine that I've known for a while, but this is our first time meeting in person. Again, just being just so awesome being in the room and feeling the electricity and just like seeing people eyeball to eyeball in 3D. And we're chatting. We're chatting about YouTube strategy and we're, we've known each other for a while. We're friends and I've done some consulting for him. I can't remember how he put this, but he said to me, he's like, Andrew, this is the craziest thing. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, we're in the very back row. And so we've got, I don't know, a hundred rows of chairs in front of us. And he's leaning back and he just kind of like, kind of like points and goes, that's Zach King. And I'm like, yeah. So he's like, this whole place is just full of these huge influencers, these huge YouTubers that literally just, they post a video and within 24 hours, they've got millions of impressions and millions of views. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this, this is vid summit. This is creators helping creators. You're not going to see a bunch of fans at an event like this. And he's like, this is the craziest thing in the world. And then we just had like a, like a really cool chat about this. The fact that that building at that particular time with all of those creators controls more influence and more attention than many governments do on the planet. Because that's the future. Brands have to. There's, there is no if, ands, or but. If brands want to remain relevant, they and you, you can already see with brands, brand deals and sponsored deals, sponsored videos. Brands have to engage with these influencers and these creators. I actually am not a fan of the term influencer anymore. I, I prefer creator. Control and own the influencer. That's the direction. These corporations. So that's, I mean, I just think that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Sorry. Well, because of their influence. You said it's bigger than the governments. It's like, yeah, you know who owns them, right? It's the corporate it's corporations. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they have full control over these influencers, these brands. Yep. They get to dictate the terms of what they say or don't say. And if they don't say it the way they want to say it, they're out. There's definitely certain situations where influencers have been controlled, but they're audiences quickly turn on them when that happens. Like the smart creators are remain true and authentic and the smart creators will turn brands away and be like, no, 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 you're not, you're not authentic or you're not, you don't resonate with my brand. You don't resonate with my audience. I don't care how much money you're going to offer me. But once you get to a certain level, you can get, you can get beyond that. You can scale beyond that through, through corporate means for sure. Like there are examples of content creators that have done such a thing. They're just, eh, it's, they're too big. They got a new audience. It's, 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 they've got now become that that corporate sponsor. Like, I'm not going to call people out because I'm, I'm a positive guy, but you can see it. Like, it's clearly true. I'm sure you're right. I haven't come across anything like that just yet. I just know Jimmy, for instance, Mr. Beast has definitely turned certain brands away even after offering them like a million dollars because they're like, no, no that's not going to work. Or if, if the brand wants too much creative control over the video, the, the smart creator is going to be like, uh-uh, I'm the one that knows my audience. I'm the one that creates the content. If you want access to my eyeballs, then we're going to do mm -hmm. it my way. The creators that bend to the will of the the sponsor, there's been times where, yeah, they definitely regretted those decisions because their audience will turn on them and will turn on them fast if that happens. I found another Instagram hack I want to uh, share with you that I had uh, figured out. We are repurposing all of our content into reels, TikToks, all that sort of thing, right? And we did this whole video, Tom and I, about Mark Zuckerberg, right? And I wondered how it would do on Facebook's platforms because we, I was defending Mark Zuckerberg. I'm still a fan of Mark Zuckerberg, okay? And I got a lot of hate and slack on, uh, on that whole thing. I support his memes. I appreciate the memes that, that he produces. Yeah. So, but if you look at the comments on our videos uh, supporting Mark Zuckerberg, it's all just people saying like, why would you support a billionaire? <laughs> you know, so, stuff like that. But 
There was this one video, and I, by the way, because we lost our social media manager, we have not been posting on our social media accounts recently, but I'm, I am now in, ready to hire two social media managers, and I figured out a whole new pay structure for them. So I'm going to have two people instead of one. So if one Fs off, I still got the other. Anyways, I got, I got the whole thing worked out. But we had this one reel um, that is now our most popular reel, and it was at 20,000 views. And I looked at it, and it was all about Mark Zuckerberg and defending Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah. You guys can check it out. I looked at it, and I was like, holy shit. Like, it had, I don't know, like maybe 600 likes, and it had 20,000 views. You know how many new followers we got? Ten. Zero. Ouch. Zero. So I was like, wow. I was like, why is that? So then I remembered that I was doing a whole, you know, engaging on Instagram thing, you know, trying to, trying to do the whole Gary V. Delarady thing. And I do it very little, usually when I'm on the can. So then I realized, I noticed this one guy that he was, he had a video about, about how you should be posting every day on social media. Right. And then, and his caption was just three times, follow username, follow username, follow username. That was a whole caption. So then I left a comment on his, on his post being like, you make me feel bad for how much effort I'm putting into these captions. Right. And he's like, ha ha ha. Right. Then I looked at his, his other, his other captions. He did sometimes write more to it. So then I went and I, I edited the, the reel that had 20,000 views on it. This Mark Zuckerberg one. And I just added in there, follow away, family, follow away, three times. Now I, I, we probably got like a hundred new, like it's gone from 20,000 views to now like 26,000 or something. And I was like 800 likes, but I've got like well over a hundred new follows from that. Oh, right on. So it just goes to show like the power of a call to action because I have not been using calls to action in anything. We don't even, in our videos, we don't, we don't tell people to follow us, subscribe, like, you know, we talked about this before, Andrew, where it's like, there's no point to tell people like the video or subscribe or whatever the call to action is. But I realized how powerful it actually is that it just like, all I did was just change that one thing and went from 20,000 views, no followers to like the next 6,000 views getting like, you know, I don't know, it was over hundred. I don't know what it's at now. Right. But it was just the simple uh, call to action in the caption. So, and we were putting so much effort into coming up with these like witty captions to engage people, research hashtags, you know, all this shit. I don't think any of that matters. And it's also interesting that because we're defending Like Mark's- if you if you hate Matt's opinion on this or follow if you hate Matt. Or <laughs> well, maybe not that. I've been wanting to put like, you know, an animated thing on our videos uh, just to say subscribe, follow, whatever. Just like a little thing that pops up while we're talking. I haven't actually gone through the process of, of getting the whole thing designed. But I really got to get it done. I should get it done for this, this episode. But yeah, I just think that, you know, calls to action make a big difference. No, there's a marketing fundamental hook story close, hook story close. In this case, the close is the CTA, the call to action. You absolutely always have to tell the viewer, the user what to do next. There always has to be a next step, always. Mm. But when it comes to positive engagement signals on YouTube, liking, hitting the bell, subscribing, commenting below, sharing with a friend, none of those engagement signals are nearly as important as turning a viewer into a repeat viewer, a returning viewer. Yeah, I've I've been noticing on our videos, we don't get great watch time, right? We're getting like, only some videos have good, but most of them don't. And I I can kind of tell why. We really got to find the voice and get, you know, whatever. So to back up a bit, I remember I talked to a guy who was doing like Instagram shout outs type stuff. He'll get you... 10,000 followers. If you want like real followers in the US, it's like $2,000 for 10,000 real followers. Or if you want anywhere, which is basically real, 
No, no, no. But like, there, there are people in the U.S. They're, they are real. No, no, they're real. They're like, um, you know, just but they're U.S. based accounts, right? But if you want anywhere, which is technically India, then it's about a thousand dollars for ten thousand followers, right? So, and I, I talked to him a lot. He's a cool guy. He's in India, but he was, he's very. So, real Indians are less expensive than real Americans, according to marketers or advertisers. Yes, according to advertisers, yes. I think, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you can look in your insights and see where where your your followers right. are from. So, let's say I do have a sponsor, right? They want to see where they're from. Plus. I, I would assume if Americans are engaging with our content, it'll show it to more Americans versus, if, you know, that, that sort of thing. Anyways, but the way he was doing these channels, is he had all these kind of called meme pages. They're not really memes, but, you know, a lot of images with like kind of like an infographic image, like always business type stuff, you know, like quotes from Warren Buffett or, you know, stuff like that. And he just had tons of these pages that had hundreds of thousands of followers. And so what you do is he would just shout you out. So he would just post his regular content, but in the, in the caption, it just says follow whatever, right? And that's how he would do it. So he'd say, I'll keep on posting your username here until you, you reach however many followers. So I remembered that, that that was like how, how shout outs work. Like the content doesn't have to be about whoever you're shouting out. It's just the caption that says, go and follow this person. And to me, it never made sense. Cause it's like, who looks at the caption? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go follow that person. Like, who cares? Right. Unless the content, like I've seen other meme pages post a funny video of somebody or doing something. And then they're like, courtesy of whoever that would make more sense. Or via. Yeah. Yeah. If I gave somebody my, my reel, I'm like, yo, can you repost this and then tag me in it? That would make sense. Like watch the video. Oh, that was funny. I want to follow that person. Who was that? And they look to figure out who it was. So yeah, just, just putting yourself in the, in the caption. And the other big thing was the tagging someone. So I tagged the Facebook creators Instagram page. You know, got 20, now we're at 26, 27,000 views. So the whole thing with like tagging another page does magic. I've noticed that a lot. And then now I realize that you got to put the call to action to say follow whatever, right? I'm, I'm no Instagram expert, but I, I definitely, there was a time where I was going deep on LinkedIn and I can tell you for LinkedIn posts, tagging is much more valuable than hashtags. Hashtags yeah. are still helpful, but tagging is huge. Absolutely huge. I'm sure it's the same for Instagram. Let's talk about hashtags on YouTube because you changed my perspective on that a lot, Andrew, because you told me don't use, you should only use branded hashtags. Mm -hmm. And I was doing some Googling about this because I was recently looking into a better way to find hashtags. And I've seen a lot of articles talking about how hashtags help you get more views and they help you get more exposure. I side on your perspective that you told me is no one's going into YouTube search and typing in a hashtag, right? You're going to type in a keyword. So share your perspective here on YouTube hashtags and the use case for YouTube hashtags. Yeah. Hashtags in YouTube are an organizational structure. That's exactly how they should be used. Uh, anything else is you're, you're treating YouTube as if it's social media. YouTube is not social media. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet and the number one video platform on the planet. And because it's such a, it, it's a different animal, it deserves to be treated as such. Like I, I just shake my head at how many people really do mess this stuff up actually. Because <laughs> the hashtags are clickable. At least the first three hashtags that you include in a description, they're clickable. And they have prime real estate. If you go to any YouTube video, the clickable hashtags are right beneath your video, above your title. <laughs> they're literally above the title. So if you do hashtag marketing and someone clicks on that hashtag, You've literally, you spent all this time, money, and effort to attract attention. And then you literally said, bye-bye, bye, bye viewer. Uh, thanks for visiting us. Uh, uh, you know, hope to see you again one day. 
Because if they click on that hashtag marketing, there's no way you're going to be on any one of those videos that they're now looking at when they're looking at hashtag marketing. I don't even click on those hashtags. I think they're going to get rid of hashtags because they don't make any sense. They're definitely not getting rid of app mentioning. In fact, they're going forward on app mentioning now that it handles. App mentioning makes sense. Yeah, I've always wondered why they don't like that. They should 100% because yeah, it just doesn't make any sense why they didn't have it before. But you know where I like hashtags in, in YouTube? It's, it's for organization. So I work with all kinds of businesses on how they can build their brand on YouTube. Now, oftentimes they have a business name, like their, their brand, their company is named ABC, and then they have their personal name. So using you as an example, hashtag web friendly, hashtag Matt Astapen. So now anytime you make a YouTube video on the web friendly YouTube channel, you should be using those hashtags. But if you go and guest speak or, or you're appearing as a guest expert speaker in someone else's, you tell that person, Hey, can you please put hashtag Matt Astafan on this, on your mm. video? And hopefully they, you know, you arrange however, you know, what the reason is behind that. And then what you do is cause now, now you have a unique URL. You have a YouTube, it's like youtube.com forward slash, uh, whatever hashtag Matt Astafan. You can include that link in your email signature or a social media post. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you could say, Hey, you can find me here. And then you could hyperlink and then literally every single video all across YouTube that has hashtag Matt Astavan, they now go to that link and they're literally looking at nothing but you on YouTube. That makes sense. That's an interesting use case. I always thought that it would be better if the hashtags were for our channel. I could, I could in a way create playlists in a way with hashtags that would be better, but, but it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's an organizational structure. It could be another way of playing, creating playlist. Yeah. yeah the hashtag is probably not going to bring traffic to you. Most likely it's, it's mostly instead of a bridge in, it's like a bridge out or uh, you know what I mean? Like, no. Oh, hell no. So that's why we want to be careful of it. So where are we sending people to with that hashtag that comes back to what you're saying about branding? I've never searched for a hashtag on YouTube in my whole life. Now I want to. <laughs> Everyone goes to YouTube and says, how do I, when yep. can I, who has the best? Wouldn't make any sense to search for a hashtag. Nobody ever searched. Okay. What do you think about YouTube tags? Mm, it's, it's not very, there's so many other aspects of YouTube marketing that are actually going to move the needle so much more than, than tags. Think of it this way. When, when you go into YouTube studio and you're uploading your video and you're optimizing all the metadata, the description and everything, you, you actually have to click a button, see more to open up the additional optimization options beneath. So it's, it's hidden. Why? Think about that. If you were a YouTube developer, a UI UX developer, why the hell would you hide tags and all those other options beneath that button? And it's because all of those optimizations are not as valuable as everything above mm. that button. Just think about it like logically from that perspective. Yeah. I've, I've experimented a lot with YouTube tags and I don't think they make a difference because there's times where I'm, I put the tags in, video doesn't hit. I put the tags in, the video hits, you know, like I think for sure, you don't want to just kind of fill it up. You know, you have like 500 characters of, ha of, of, sorry, of tags. And I know not filling it up is definitely good. But I think if you have the right sequence of tags, maybe, you know, like uh, when we talked about Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan, I use a lot of tags to signify that we're talking about Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan. And, and that was it. And I think that helped. But, you know, trying to go in and just, you know, using other kind of keywords to try to rank for them and stuff like that, I don't think it works. Two things, two things. After a video is published within the first 24 hours, YouTube has all the data it needs to know exactly who to serve that video to. And the tags are literally worthless at, worthless at that point. There is one case, there is one case that I, has been presented to me and I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. If you're making a video about a subject and you're trying to rank for a keyword or a search term that is commonly misspelled, 
you're clearly, you're, you're a content creator. You're not going to use the misspelled version in your title and in your description. You would look pretty funny if you did that, right? But you could put the misspelled version in the tag. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. That would actually make sense to me. Could you put that word in the description? Does that make an impact more or less so than like the tag? You could, but you could understand why a creator would want to avoid that because then they're they're going to look silly if they're misspelling their keyword in the description. So you, you hide it in the tag where no one would see it. You could just do it like casually if you got a long description. But would you also say on that front that descriptions are more powerful than like tags? Oh yeah, 100%. A description is more more influential. Specifically the section of the description that's above the fold, the, the first three lines. I can't remember how many characters it is. It's three. It's exactly three lines. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's visible on Google and that's also visible on YouTube. Uh, without. What is the best thing to kind of write in there? Like the, the framework is it, should you put like a call to action or like, but if I were to optimize that, I would try to kind of draw it in with curiosity, but I have not been trying to optimize descriptions. I thought about going back and we have articles now for all of our videos that go on the webfriendly.com, right? So I thought about just kind of taking the first few sentences from the article, putting it at the top of the description with the link to the article. I think it might help. I haven't done that. That works. But but yeah, I wonder about how effective any of that is. I did notice as well, usually we're putting out a video now. You know, we're at like, you know, 1,200 subscribers. We were at 1,000 before we started the show, okay? So we basically grew by about 250 subscribers since we started the show, right? So if we were, if we would have started at zero, I think we'd be at 250 now. Mm -hmm. And we are on average, we'll get, I think like 50 views would be low for any of our videos. That's like the lowest we're getting, right? But what I noticed was, usually it's like 50, but I looked back, if you look back at all of our older episodes, they're all now like 200. So it's taking like a month or two. Like oh, cool. we did a whole episode, uh, you and I, on, you know, when you, we, you did the whole YouTube analysis thing. You look back at that. I think one of those videos has like a thousand views. Oh, really? When we first posted it, it was like nothing. It was like 20, 50. It's evergreen content. The YouTube AI needs time to serve content to audiences and is constantly testing. So now that is a clone that's working for you 24-7, 365, and YouTube is constantly testing, 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 and with each test gets more and more data and slowly but surely understands, ah, that's the viewer avatar that likes this content. And then, and then not every case, but in some cases, a video will blow up like a year after it was posted or two years after it was posted. I've seen that plenty of times. Now, the other one was the YouTube callouts. I've been using a lot of callouts and I'll even sometimes when we mention another video, I would actually in the callout, I would link to another video on the same topic in hopes that we might show up under the similar content there. I don't know if it's really working. We've talked about YouTube calls. You're the one who, who first told me kind of about the callouts system. I always add in five callouts throughout the videos with linking to other videos. I always, I've been, I started doing a callout since I subscribed to our channel. I don't know if it works, but like all these little optimization things, like, I don't know if they really matter. I don't know. So the idea is you're trying to strengthen the data relationship between the video that you're optimizing and existing content in your archive, your library, so that when someone does click on it, it strengthen, strengthens okay. the data relationship, but not very many people click on those those cards, the cards that appear in the top right corner. Way more people, way more people click on the end screen elements, the cards that appear in the last 20 seconds or less. That's much more popular than the cards in the top right corner. Right. So, but you are trying to add a little bit of extra metadata juice to strengthen the data relationship so that anytime any viewer lands on any of that group of videos, it's going to be much more likely that YouTube will serve that the, the additional videos in that group in the suggested column. Now, there's a, an advanced strategy called buckets that Daryl Eves magically talks about all the time. He calls it YouTube callout buckets? No, he calls them buckets. Buckets. He doesn't call them callouts. So basically, all your content is essentially, whether you intentionally do this or not, 
your content is always going to be divided into buckets of content because not every single video is going to be, uh, you know, you might have long format webinar or in a short format, top 10 uh, listicle video. You might have, you might have an animation video, you know, like these are all different buckets of content also, not only by format, but also by subject as well, the topic of the actual video. Now, when you have those buckets of content out, they're out there, they're doing their thing, they're doing their thing, they're doing, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get a banger or boom, you get one video that just completely goes above average and, and breaks above the, the baseline that your channel has established for itself. Now, when that happens, that's because YouTube finally found the perfect viewer avatar that loves that kind of content. So then YouTube in a fraction of a second will look at, at your entire archive and say, what, what other content do we have on this channel? That's similar enough for that kind of viewer avatar. Let's provide a lift. And then all of those existing videos within that same bucket of content will experience a lift, but you do need that banger video you, or you do need that video that's going to break above the baseline to provide that lift. So, you know, chicken and the egg. <laughs> so, and you're saying you use call outs to kind of create those buckets. It's not just the, the cards in the top right corner. It's going to be a whole long list of things. Like you can establish a data relationship between two videos simply by someone watching video a, and then they click on a card or the pin, the link in the pin comment or a link in the description, and then they go to video B. So as soon as that happens once YouTube goes, oh, there's a relationship here between these two videos. This kind of viewer really enjoys watching both of these videos. Let's start watch sharing video B to any viewer avatar that's similar. When that viewer avatar is watching video A, let's start sharing video B in the suggested column and let's see what happens. And if we get more clicks, ah, now we got a winner. Let's keep going. Now, what are your thoughts on manually uploading YouTube captions? Because I remember that that used to be a really good SEO hack because I know that they automatically generate it, right? But if you actually mm -hmm. upload a caption file, I remember learning that that was like an SEO hack because then they're like, okay, they're, it's almost like an article, right? And I've noticed also on the auto-generated captions that sometimes when we're announcing like keywords of like company names or brand names, they'll be spelled wrong. So that means they don't know, like you, the YouTube algorithm, I assume, does not know what we're actually talking about because you know, the announciation was not clear enough or, you know, spelling's wrong. So what do you know about YouTube captions and SEO? Is that still a thing? There's always a lead, uh, risk and reward. And yet you could optimize a video to death and definitely does not guarantee a video is going to perform well. Right. Because yeah, that's just not going to happen. Um, I don't know if you heard the, the big uh, news recently, Rev, Rev.com. Yeah. They laid off like, I don't know, like I, I don't want to, you know, put my foot on my mouth, but they laid off a huge amount of, uh, of their force. Just so people who are watching know, Rev is, I think they were probably the number one for like doing captions. It's like a dollar a minute for doing your captions and all that kind of stuff. Transcriptions. Transcriptions, yeah. Transcription services, right? With real people, at least for a time. Yeah. And it was always being promoted through like TubeBuddy always, you know, I think they got a partnership with them. So, uh, so they laid off a lot of people, hey? I actually met some, uh, some of their team members while I was at VidSummit and then, and we like connected on LinkedIn. And then within a week after VidSummit, I, I saw the guy post on his on LinkedIn saying that uh, I'm so sorry for my colleagues and, and myself like they they came out with the, the chopping axe man so I think that is a pretty clear indication that people are not spending money on captions anymore because they realized that it wasn't generating the results that they were after and there's always going to be a risk and reward you're going to you need to spend your money your time your attention on things that are actually going to improve your videos and captioning eh, doesn't move the needle in the way that maybe it did back in 2017 yeah I think I agree with you now, the other one was around sending, you mentioned this before, sending traffic to your video right after you publish it. I remember when Yara was talking about, he put out a YouTube video, emailed his email list to go and watch that video. And you're like, no, 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 let, let the YouTube algorithm just, just 
you know, put it out there. I think that was really interesting too, because I actually heard another SEO expert saying that every time he's like, when you upload a video, the first thing you want to do is get as much traffic as you can to that video in the first few hours. Right. And, and I was like, I think that's an old tactic. And, and I think I'm on board with you where you like, you just publish it, let it do a thing. Cause it's going to try to show it to the people who will give you the most watch time. Right. I assume. I've experimented with this a lot. I, I'm not opposed to promoting videos to your email list or social media. However, if you follow specific guidelines, your chances of success are dramatically increased. Only promote the videos that are already doing well. Like I said, audience is, is king, not content. Audience is king. And if you just let the marketplace tell you what's the cream that's rising to the top, let's pick those videos that are already performing well because the YouTube AI was serving those videos and it was generating results. And then after 30 days, after the video has been live for 30 days, promote it to your email list, promote it to... Now, obviously that really only works as if it's evergreen content. If you're like a news right. channel or something, 30 days later, that news is nobody cares. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But to be honest with you, the YouTube AI is better at what it does than anything else on the planet. And if you start sending traffic from all of these different uh, sources, oh geez, how, how much time do we have? Uh, there's a laundry list of reasons of why that won't work. <laughs> Interesting. And what do you think about the production value on YouTube? Do you think that amateur style production, basically what we're doing right now, better or highly produced? Because personally, I kind of find that, I, like I was watching other people who do kind of news type stuff on YouTube, uh, Valuetainment as an example. I, I like going to them for news. Love that channel, yeah. Right, um, I, I like their perspective and you know, they always have different perspectives, I should say, right? It's not so much, I remember before they would always have somebody who would be on one side and somebody who would be on the other side. It was kind of like, so it felt so scripted, but now it's a lot more natural. But I was wa watching it and thinking about why do I, I sit and watch it? They get my watch time. I watch the video to the end usually. And then I watch our video and I think about like, why are people not watching to the end? And I wonder if it's production value or I also wonder like they're all in a studio together and I wonder if that makes a big difference versus us not being in the same place. And I wonder about that. What is it about our style of video that is not, you know, getting the watch time. Cause I think about, Hey, it could be personality. Maybe we're not charismatic enough or whatever, you know, maybe we don't have the right intro to get the hook. I don't know if you notice right now in this video, what I've been doing is I've been asking you a question cause I'm thinking about how the video is going to start and then that, and I'm writing, writing it down. Um, that will be the clip, right? Usually we're just, we've been kind of, we riff and then I try to find the clips in between, but there's not like a good hook when the video starts, what's going to get people to stay. And I wonder like, should I record an intro for every video to the, Hey, in this video, we're going to be talking about blah, 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 right? Would that maybe get people to stick, right? Like what is going to increase the watch time? And I'm talking specifically for our channel, right? What do you think it is? I'll break it down for you right now. You ready for this? Yeah. Three step process. Winning on YouTube is not complicated. It's not easy, but it's also not complicated. Step one is get the view. How are you going to get the view? Topic, title, thumbnail. Yeah. Topic, title, thumbnail. You're not going to get a click unless you have those. I think we got that. I think I figured that part out. Then step number two is compel that viewer to stick around all the way to the very end. And that's going to be a combination of production quality and content quality. So in our case, these talking head videos that we're making, yeah, it's going to be how engaging we are, how charismatic we are and that stuff. But then there's also going to be the post-production side of things too. Are you leveraging, you know, engagement video editing techniques, B-roll, sound, uh, sound effects, background music, stock imagery, um, lots of movement between camera angles or camera shots, you know, the wide shot with all three of us and the close in shot, like having all of that movement, right? All, all the best TV shows on TV figured that stuff out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and we do a little bit of that. And I, I think our editor is starting to do a really good job. She's putting in a lot of effort now. I noticed in like, she's, you know, putting in logos when we talk about things and examples and, you know, so every time we're doing a, a new episode, I'm always kind of giving her a bit more feedback. 
she's getting better and better at it and uh she's great i, I really like her but i bet when i watch you know valuetainment for example they're not doing no fucking you know cutting in b-rolls and stuff like that let me stop you right there you can't know what is going to increase watch time and average view duration and convincing the viewer to come all the way to the end of the video without first identifying your viewer i'll be honest with you like i will spend upwards of an entire day daryl eves daryl eves will spend upwards of an entire day with clients just trying to nail down who the viewer avatar is. I'm talking demographics, psychographics, online behavior, offline behavior. What keeps them up at night? Where do they go on vacation? What pets do they have? Are they single or, do, or married to have kids? Like you literally need to drill down and get into the, into the head of your viewer avatar. The difference between the huge YouTubers that are speaking on stage at VidSummit and everyone, all the other YouTubers that are sitting in the audience is one thing. The ones on stage, they know their audience. And if your audience needs that Mr. Beast flashy, lots of movement, then that's what you do. And if you're valuetainment and you have a more mature audience, then you do what is going to resonate with your audience. That's, that's the trick. If, the, if I can call it that. That's really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go a little bit off topic and I'm going to come back uh, talking about our channel and our, and our avatar. I was watching Aiden Ross. He had interviewed uh, Andrew Tate, you know, just before Andrew Tate like really blew up. And I just found out about this. I didn't know who Andrew, T who Aiden Ross was, right? I just, you know, I was on this little Andrew Tate binge, right? And it was, I think like a two and a half or three hour uh, live stream. Somehow I watched the whole thing, right? And I started watching it at first and I was not planning to watch the whole thing. I was just because I had heard about it. And so I was like, just want to check it out. But what I noticed about him was like, he would be like, just like Andrew Tate would say something. He would just like freak out. And they would just, and then Andrew Tate would be making fun of him. And then like, they'd be, you know, whatever riffing, you know, there was something about it that was just really entertaining to watch. And I was like, okay, I get why Aiden Ross is popular, right? Cause he's just so out there. Well, it sounds like a pattern interrupt. I haven't seen it, but it sounds like a, there's a term for that. It's called pattern interrupt. Yeah. And a pattern interrupt can be someone freaking out. It could be, it could be absolutely anything. It could be B roll. It could be, it could be absolutely anything, but pattern interrupts are, they work. Yeah. He freaks out over everything. Right. And he's a gaming, uh, he was, I heard from watching it. I never actually watched any of his gaming stuff, but apparently he was playing Grand Theft Auto. That's how he got, he got famous. But now he's doing a lot of live streams with like OnlyFans girls and like whatever. Right. And the Andrew Tate stream was like his most popular uh, stream that he did. Right. But it was entertaining, right. To watching that. And so I thought about it. I was like, is it like personality is the biggest thing? Because, you know, I always talk about you You want to build this connection with your audience. You want them to feel like they know you. I used to always say that. It's the, the, the reality show method. That's what I used to call it. If you bump into uh, Gary Vee or uh, I don't know, whoever you watch online, right? You feel like you know them because you've seen so much of them on video and so on. So I wonder if like that's the thing, like kind of maybe just getting a little bit personal every once in a while, let them know a bit more about you, you know, that sort of thing, you know? And you talk now about this, this avatar. I think that's interesting because I, I don't know, like when you say that I was like who's our avatar exactly I think about it I'm like are we making content for that person because sometimes I get people who watch a show which is like my mom <laughs> and my uh my fiance and uh you know and they're like you know, some of the words we use they don't know what it means like if I just go off the cuff and I'm like YouTube callouts right they, they don't know what a YouTube callout is if I say SEO they don't know what that means so like you should like tone it down so I can understand you know they're like I don't understand most of what you're saying then I'm like, well, I'm not really making the video for you. But then I was like, maybe we do want to make it for those people, right? Because when I first started the show, I was like, I kind of want to be able to like tell people about our industry, people who don't are, are unaware of it. Like there's so much, you know, going on in our industry that I think a lot of people don't know about, right? And I was like, I thought that would be really interesting to have one place you can go to, to stay updated with the industry, right? Originally it was for digital marketers. Then I was like, oh, creators are a big audience. And I was like, oh, and publishing. I'm really big into publishing, right? So it's like digital marketers, creators, and publishers. Maybe that's why I'm interested now. Andrew, what you said, you kind of turn on a light bulb for me. 
where I was like, I don't know what kind of pets they have. I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of like, I want to talk to my mom, you know, those kind of the, the people who don't really understand this stuff because, you know, they might enjoy this. And then it's like, I also want to be able to talk to you guys, right? Let's say you guys are not on the show with me. I want you guys to watch the show. I've had a few digital marketing friends say that they've, they've watched a few episodes and I was like, oh, cool. I was surprised. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I had some, like come out, I'll call them advanced marketing people. Tell me they've seen a few episodes, but they're not regular viewers. They're not like diehards. So I wonder about that. It's like, if we want to make it for these diehard digital marketers, diehard creators, if that's our audience. Well, you, you've definitely nailed on something important here, Matt, because a lot of people go backwards. A lot of people make the content and then they try to figure out who to serve it to. That is going the wrong way. The first, the first step is identify your niche, your industry, the, 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 the overarching topic. Then it's determining who your viewer avatar is. And then now we hit the record button. Now we plan. Now we create. And then you're constantly testing, 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 testing so that you can optimize. And going back to what you were just saying a minute ago, it, it's pure genius. It, uh, we're characters. We're all playing characters. We're all characters. We're being ourselves, but we're all characters. Personality is definitely a, uh, an important part of that. But the, the important thing to realize is not just people are characters. Inanimate objects can be a character. Like Office Space, everybody knows about, anyone who's ever watched Office Space knows about the Red Stapler. The Red Stapler was a character. Everything is a character. It could be a boat. It could be a house. It could be a car. It could be a Red Stapler, right? The biggest question that the best creators in the world focus on is how do we deploy uh, storytelling in a way that compels and entertains and informs the viewer so that they do watch that video all the way to the end and they keep watching. That's step three that I never got to. Now we're getting to step three. How do you convert the viewer, a first time viewer into a repeat or returning viewer? Well, the best thing like in sales, you would call them a hot lead or a warm lead at the very end of the video, you need to give them something else to consume. So if you're making a series of videos that they all string together because they're all connected somehow, then you're creating an environment where the viewer literally cannot miss a single upload because they know they're going to be left out of the loop. They know they're going to miss something valuable. They know they're going to miss something entertaining. So they have to watch the upload, which is why certain YouTube channels and certain YouTubers blow up and others struggle and struggle and struggle because they never figure out step three. Step one, get the viewer. Step two, compel the viewer to watch at the very end. Step three, convert that viewer into a repeat and returning viewer. And storytelling is one of the best ways to do that. Tension. Who's the bad guy? Is the bad guy time? Is the bad guy the government? Is the bad guy some nosy neighbor? Is the bad who's the bad guy? There's got to be a bad guy. There's got to be some way to create some tension in the content because increasing tension will increase retention. You know, you just give me an insight. At the end of our videos, we have the uh, end screen, right? Which you actually helped us to create that. What happens is as the video is ending, the video goes up into the corner and then you have the full episode and you have the clip right? But we just let it roll. But I always think that maybe people now know the video is ending. It's going to kill retention. What if instead at the end, it goes up to a video where I then give a call to action and say, Hey, you know, it could be the same, same video every time. Right. I could say, Hey, this episode was all about, you know, this one topic. I could generalize how I say it. If you want to watch the full episode, go here. You want to watch the next clip, go over here. Or we th- throw a few hundred bucks at Celeb VM and get random celebrities to do calls to actions for us and place them at the end of every video so people are incentivized who's going to be the celebrity this week. Is Celeb VM a site? Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, interesting. Oh, I didn't even know about that. 
you spend like 50 bucks for a message, a video message. I've heard of them, but I've never used them. Yeah, there you go. There's another hack, Matt. Let's try it out. Because then people would be inside. Who's who's the who's the call out this week? I could see it using them for ads. But you know, I also think about like people when they see a clip from us, they don't know what why we're in this clip. Yeah, they don't know what it's about. They don't understand this is like we're recording a full episode, we're taking the clips. And I think about should I do an intro? Like a like a templated intro, but then every video is gonna start the same way. But I think doing it at the end could work. That way we can explain, hey, this show is called Good Morning Marketers. It's part of the web friendly network. We meet every few weeks to uh, discuss topics that matter to digital marketers, creators, and publishers. We're here here to help you stay up to date with what's going on because there's too much noise out there. The noise maybe could be the enemy. If you want to watch the full episode, click over here. You want to watch the next clip, go down there, go check out our channel, use the hashtag. You know, maybe something like that because I think people are not getting kind of what it is, the show, right? A lot of people don't get it. And when you are delivering that call to action, relevancy is super important. If the, the video is about ABC and you're trying to send them to XYZ that doesn't relate at all yeah you're not doing yourself any favors but if you're making like a top 10 tricks to figure out blah 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 and then at the end of that video you sent them to the five worst mistakes that beginners need to avoid like it, it makes logical sense oh yeah i just watched the top 10 tricks of course i'm going to want to know what the five biggest mistakes that beginners need to avoid you're going to increase the chances of getting that click at the end of your content if the content you're driving traffic to is relevant versus, hey, watch this video next. That's not a strong enough call to action. I don't want to have to record a different call to action every time. I'm trying to reduce the amount of time this show takes and the work. That's why I thought about making an intro for every video. Like we did this whole thing on, you know, YouTube hashtags. I could, you yep. know, I would record a video. Let's say we finish recording now. I quickly go through it. I'm like, in this video, we talk about YouTube hashtags, Andrew shares, blah, 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 blah. Make sure mm -hmm. to watch it at the end. Then it plays the video. Then I could maybe build a relationship with the audience by talking to the camera versus now we're talking to each other. I thought about that, but I was like, a lot of work. A lot of work. You should test it though. You should test it. Because if you were able to get your, if you were able to 10X your results, then you're like, there's no brainer. I'm going to keep doing this from now on. You just got to do some, some call out, some negative call out videos to people up the chain. Isn't that what people do? I feel like that works. Just got to start like go, going up the, the food chain and be like, okay, well, this is what we're going to, we're going to call it this creator, this creator. That's another hack. I don't mind doing the the videos where we kind of break down somebody's uh, mark, like the way we did the Mark Zuckerberg video. I thought about doing one on Elon Musk, doing one on Kanye West, you know, kind of breaking down some of that stuff. The only challenge is just that now we have like about a two week turnaround. So, you know, it could, it, things change a lot in the in that time period, right? So it's a little bit tricky. I don't want to be dissing people and stuff, I, you know, keep it positive. But I do think future of the show, I think I figured it out now. But what's the enemy, Matt? What's the tension? There's no tension here. That's right. What is the enemy? I want to tell you guys the future of the show, what I, what I, right. what I figured out. But the concept of the enemy, I think, Andrew, you're right. And I, and I think about that. Like For me, one of my big enemies is like wasting people's time. I hate people who waste my time. I hate wasting other people's time. So the enemy could be, you know, you want to figure out, you know, what's going on in this in this world of, you know, creators and marketers and publishers. And, you know, we're going to save you the time so that way you don't waste time doing things that you don't need to do. Don't don't go waste time trying all these like marketing hacks. They don't work. But let me give you this th thought that I had. So I've been talking to a few people. They've reached out, uh, whatever. Some people through the show, other people through other other places. Um, and they're popular marketing people who I yet to I don't know them well, right? And we're just chatting, and I've had some calls with some, and, and they are doing some interesting things. So I thought about just having different people come on the show. I've always said I don't want to make this an interview show, but having people who are experts in their domain come on the show. And then we just riff on the things that they're doing. Someone's really big into the, like I talked to this guy, he's like a 
sleep expert, you know, kind of riffing on this whole idea of like sleep hacking and whatever, right? All that kind of stuff, right? But it's got to pertain more to like the marketing side, right? Another guy, he did like challenge funnels. He's really big on challenge funnels and he's like a two comma club award winner. So I thought about it. It'd be cool to just kind of riff on challenge funnels, you know, what he did, how he got traffic, you know, that sort of thing. But less interview, more just kind of chatting about the topic in general. I don't like interviews like, oh, tell me about yourself, your background and starting this whole, you know, not that interesting. It's content. I don't think it's that interesting to like know someone's whole history and then like getting a few tips from them. That's what podcasts are kind of famously bad at is because the intro is like, geez, in some cases it's three and a half minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Viewers don't have that kind of patience. So yeah, but that's it. So now I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, next episode, we're going to have somebody else join us like a guest every time. And that way we can kind of just have discussions around the topic of whatever their thing is. We're always trying different things. You know, we've tried just random riffing, you know, like I told you, I did a whole episode with Yaro. We were just kind of just, he was like, let's not plan anything. Hit record. Let's go. And then we did this whole thing, but it's a little bit harder to come up with the clips and like what it's going to be about and like, okay, now I got to optimize all this stuff. So I want to get something a bit more tighter. But I think the thought process, you know, Andrew, when he first started the show, we had a whole document about who our audience was, right? We even talked about who we were going to be and our different characters and stuff like that, right? But as the show has progressed now, kind of thinking about like how much we want to dial that in or like adjust it. It's a journey that every creator goes through. Yeah. You're definitely going through the process. It's important to actually go fast and break things. Who is it? Like, was it Facebook? Is that a Facebook line? Go fast and break things? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I actually see that as being valuable because you're going to be a hell of a lot further ahead than another creator that's constantly like planning and plan like it's stuck in analysis process. I've been guilty of that in the past. I actually see the value in actually hitting recording, just going and testing. Uh, but to your point, yeah, but the post-production side of things can be a little bit more messy and complicated if you're not more organized before hitting the record button. It does depend on the kind of show, the kind of experience you're trying to create for the viewer. Who do you think our audience is? Creators that are relatively new in the space or relatively new to becoming being creators, or maybe they've hit a plateau. They're a little frustrated. In that sense, I almost feel like Good Morning Marketers. Mm, good. I, like the, I like the name Good Morning Marketers, but mm. I don't know how many creators would actually click on it because there, uh, there might be some that disqualify themselves because like, oh, I'm not a marketer. Well, they, the thing is that they don't even know because the, the channel is called Web Friendly. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So it's not really clear like what's Good Morning Marketers, why is the show called Web Friendly? Like it's not that, you know what I mean? Like there should have almost been like another channel just called Good Morning Marketers. Like we were talking about earlier that, uh, you know, you, you noticed that someone told you that there's a strategy around launching a brand new channel. I actually have heard from multiple sources that yeah. does have some kind of way to unfairly weigh the a brand new channel because YouTube does want a brand new YouTube channel to succeed. I don't actually have any data that backs that up, by the way, but I have heard that from multiple sources that brand new channels do have. And I don't know how long that window is really available for. Yeah. Your web-friendly channel definitely attracted a certain kind of viewer avatar. And then when you launch the show, Good Morning Marketers, it's not the same viewer avatar. It's just not. It's just, it's going to be a completely different viewing experience, which means it's going to attract a completely different viewer avatar. It's not that different though. No, no, no. I don't think that what we were uploading before is that much different from who okay. we're targeting. I, I wouldn't say that. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I heard that, but I also think the, the cadence of when you upload, like I did notice that when we upload every day, we get more views. When we stop uploading for like a week before, because we weren't, because of our recording schedule and stuff, sometimes we go a week with no video. Then I would upload and we get like three views. Now we upload every time we're getting like 20 to 50 views. And then and some of them, you know, will hit, right? Got it, yeah. But again, I look at like some of the videos that get like a thousand views, you know, like really quick, I go look at it and the watch time is like, you know, 10, 20% of the video, every watch time, right? Which is, so it ends up stopping. Mm. I think we keep going if people watch the whole thing. When I look at the video we did on like Nelk, 
we got to stop making Nelk videos because now anytime I look at any sort of YouTube data analytics, whenever it's just all Nelk stuff, I'm like, no, but those videos have 80, 90% watch times. People are, were interested in what we're talking about. It's just a matter of, I think, getting into that character of like, I think when people become interested in, in kind of what we're talking about, maybe we need to be more exaggerated in our characters or something to be more entertaining. I did notice some of the biggest creators are, have a character they are on video. They're not the same person in real life. You look at like Andrew Tate, when he puts on the glasses he's Andrew Tate it's, it's not he's completely a character right you see him come out of character sometimes even though like Dan Locke right I knew him you know before he did YouTube he told me it was a character he's a different person like in real life Grant Cardone right I think he's just you know over the top Gary V I'm assuming he's just you know the way he is on camera he's super high energy I doubt just normally when you talk to him he's screaming at you I don't know if that's required though I was lucky enough to bump into um, Ryan Trahan at Vid Summit, and he's 100% exactly what you see on YouTube. <laughs> I was in the elevator, and he walked in, and he goes, "Howdy!" I'm like, "Oh, wow!" He actually says "Howdy" in real life. <laughs> Maybe, but also he was there with like you know knowing he's in that environment, right? But even if you could, if you could do better by putting on an act, like is that you? I think some people are like good at putting on acts, and like it's them. I feel like there there is like a little bit of protection when you put on the act because then it's like you could just say whatever you want. It's not you. I actually I'm more worried about being myself. Oh yeah. Because then if I say something wrong. Yeah, and the cancel culture kind of thing, right? Yeah, and I'm talking about like real people who know me will could judge me and say you said that thing. My argument is going to be well, no, I'm just a character. But they're like, why are you acting the same? But if I'm over the top, right? Whatever. And, and I would have fun with that. I don't want to be fake. It just, it would be fun to be able to do that. I've actually thought about different ideas. I have a friend of mine and I was thinking about having him come sit beside me and like completely just be a character and then just be like Jay and Silent Bob, you know, like just have someone there just being like, yeah, man, f that or you know, something like that, you know, just something to be a bit more entertaining. You'd be like, what is this show? Right. Got to be a call to action at the end. It's like, rate this. <laughs> Would you watch more? <laughs> you know, um, Ninja, he dyed his hair blue and that's kind of made him stand out. When you have certain things or like Harmozi had a mustache for the longest time. When you have these like little characteristics about you that people will remember, oh, the guy with the mustache or the guy who, you know, wears a red bandana, that visual, they'll that remember you're that guy so there's all these like little hacks and stuff whereas like i don't want like again i don't want to be like a fake or whatever right you know when i started the show i never want to be like famous i just want to like make a good quality show and like an entertaining show i would love to put more effort into like our like the journalism side of our content putting more research into things but right now we just can't because we're not making any money from the show it's interesting i mean part of this is like as you said it's like you have content out there already this must be a new change to youtube they split videos and shorts or has that been like that for a while Sometimes I don't pay attention to these things. I'm on the web-friendly YouTube channel right now, and so you guys got home videos, shorts, playlists, which I thought it was always videos and playlists, and the videos and shorts would just be mixed in together. Yeah, that's that's brand new. That just happened like this week. Boom. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes me feel yeah. a little better. I'm like, have I been this oblivious? <laughs> so the shorts, why is Mark Zuckerberg hated? That's number one. Google Workspace petition, number two. Growing my email list to 40,000 subscribers. Why are Facebook ads so complicated? $10,000 or 10,000 subscribers starting YouTube channel is like dot, dot, dot. So it's like, it's interesting. There's definitely some like different types of content there and there's some similarities. I guess my question would be, and maybe this would be a question for Andrew. Like if you were going through the process of identifying, if you were working with a client who had content out there and was trying to figure out, Hey, what of this content would you double down on? Would you go from that direction or would you would you actually you know go back and like break it down and like no we got to relook at the audience first or is there useful information in the content that is already getting traction? Oh yeah, you can definitely pull some valuable data from the uh, the, the content to make some educational decisions moving forward. I actually do almost always 
force my clients to take a step back because nine, 99 times out of 100, they haven't actually done the proper work on who their viewer avatar is and the foundational layer. That's vitally, vitally important. Most people just just want to skip that step. I'll ask them like, who's your viewer avatar? And they'll tell, they'll, you know, spell off some like two sentence, three sentence. And I'm like, that's it. <laughs> Cause I'm telling you, your viewer avatar is a whole lot more complicated than what you just said. So we need to drill down. That's like a foundational step that I make my clients go through. But I do spend a lot of time uh, going into the, the analytics and the metrics and identifying which videos get the most views, which views get uh, videos get the most watch time and which videos generate the most new subscribers. Mm. And then I, I categorize those and put the, break them off into buckets and I identify patterns. Um, you know how I mentioned that spending a lot of time on demographics, psychographics, and blah, blah, blah. Demographics is the easy stuff. Their age, where they live, married or single, blah, blah, blah. The psychographics are a little bit more complicated, but it's very, very easy to, to get access to the patterns and the data that you're looking for. And it's, it's in the comments section. And if you have a relatively new channel or brand new YouTube channel and you don't have any comments, well, then you need to isolate who your comparables are, who your competitors are, go to their channels and go through their comments or pay a VA to do this and look for patterns, look for certain language that repeats itself over and over again. Maybe it's a certain pain point or maybe it's something that they're complaining about their, their content. Oh, I wish you would do this or I wish you would do that. Or I love it when you do this and I love it when you do that. And then capturing that language and using that exact language like in the title and in the description of the content that you're making. Not the uh, language of your competitors, the language of the viewers that you're trying to attract. You want to enter the, the conversation that's already occurring in their noggin so that when they come across your content, they feel like, oh my God, he's talking to me. That's exactly what you, you want your viewer to. No, I was just thinking about how like, I think our viewers are more people who, who want to be creators or like maybe they're, they have a job in marketing, but you know, they want to branch out. They want to kind of have that side hustle to start creating content. And I think that's more of kind of who we're talking to. I was just thinking about Think Media, you know, Think Media. Mm -hmm. I feel like they do a lot of content and even like vidIQ, most of their content is not geared towards established creators so much. I think it's more like you want to become a YouTuber, you want to become a creator, or you want to have a side hustle. That's that's the low hanging fruit, man. That's like the ultimate market as far as I'm concerned for low ticket stuff too. Yeah. The side hustle, the just getting started, the bootstrap, that kind of thing. Yeah. The solopreneur, you know, I actually think that that is who our audience is when I think about it. Most of the time when I'm talking, I think that's who's in my mind. All right, guys, good talk. Um, and um, yeah, I guess uh, I never know how to end this. this. Smash that <laughs> because, subscribe button. It's because you haven't figured out what video to send them to. But there must be a video. Where I'm looking at your channel right now. There must be a video that you can literally put the call to action in the end card and send them over that way. No, I'm gonna record a, a standard call to okay. action for all of our, I'm probably gonna do it right now. Okay. But yeah, sometimes people listen to the podcast and stuff like that too, right? You know what, you know what the call to action is? I would love to get feedback. I would love if somebody would just email me. It's matt at webfriendly.com. And let me know what you think about the show and uh, what kind of content you'd like to see. I think that would be really helpful to just hear from our audience uh, what they want. All right guys, take care.